how many years is equivalent to a dog year? Well, the, the, the fable is seven, isn't it? It is. But it's a trick question because it's actually a myth. Hi, I'm Dr. Sab Cohen-Hatton, and I'm a neuroscientist specialising in human and animal learning mechanisms. I'm Jamie Penrith. I specialise in working with naughty dogs who like to chase and attack other animals, and I'm also a former police dog handler. And I'm Danny Wells. I'm a dog trainer who specialises in unwanted, dangerous behaviour. And every week, we sit down to talk about the latest research in canine science. And more importantly, how you can apply that to your own dog to get to know them even better. Welcome to The Dog Scholar. <laughs> The average dog lives about 10 to 13 years on average. Average human, mm. about 75 to 85. Did you just burp at me? <laughs> Was that a burp or were you agreeing? My orange came back. <laughs> no, but this difference between dog years and human years is so ingrained in pop culture that we refer to seven years as being a dog year, you know, mm. dog year and human years. So what is it because of something we're eating or something that dogs are eating? Is there some kind of ticking biological clock in our DNA? What is it? Can you make your dog live longer? Um, I would, I would suggest. Yeah, but with, within the parameters of how we live longer, you know, exercise, a balanced diet, lower chronic stress, stuff like that. But why do dogs even have to die? I mean, surely they shit. should be immortal. Why, should we, should why do we all have to die? Shit. Yeah, well. It's just I, shit. I think Go no! <laughs> <laughs> this episode's going to be fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Humans have extended their life phenomenally, really, from about 30 to 40 to theoretically low hundreds in in the yeah. space of, you know, a hundred years, really, when you look at the difference in lifespan. It's been phenomenal. Um, we've got much longer lifespans than great apes who, you know, very rarely exceed 50. And since 1800, lifespans have doubled. You know, so there's really something happening. It's largely due to improvements in the environment and the food that we eat, medicine that's minimised. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have the same rates of infant mortality yeah. that we're used to, primarily because of those Vaccination things. Vaccination inoculations. Sure. Oldest person that ever lived. How old do you reckon they were? I know you know because yeah, you read you the script. The day, yeah. You won't have a clue. Oh, so about 122. <laughs> You have and read maybe the script. about sixteen days or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two hours forty five minutes yeah, and seconds. It yeah. was Jean Calment who who was born in eighteen seventy five, died in nineteen ninety seven, and she was French. She lived to one hundred and twenty two years and one hundred and sixty four days. And what about the oldest dog? This um, I know this because we we spoke about this, but it's surprising. Mm. Thirty two. 31. Oof. 31. Yeah. Oldest dog that ever lived was Bobby, who lived to 31. He was in Portugal. And on the 11th of May, 2023, that's when he turned 31. But actually all animals, including us, have got a really similar life trajectory. We're conceived and then we're born and then we go into infanthood and then childhood and then adolescence and then uh, adulthood. And then at some point we reproduce, possibly, and then, you know, we hit... Senility and I. Some of us reach maturity anyway. Not sure about yeah. you two. Nothing wrong with that. Truncated. Aren't we, Danny? Uh, yeah. We're truncated at the adolescent stage. We all know about DNA, right? It's like two linked strands that wind around each other like a twisted ladder that carry the genetic information that we all have about how we function. So it's a bit like a blueprint for how you make the body. Now, genes that are in that DNA can be turned on 
or off, either to start or stop giving directions to make a protein that fulfills a particular function within a body. So for example, so in some people, the genes that make them tolerate lactose are switched off and then they become lactose intolerant. So in this study, they looked at a particular part of the way that the DNA would change with the age, and it was called DNA methylation. And, and that just means that there are chemical tags that attach to particular location of the DNA and that's what turns the gene on or off. So that's the function that they were looking at. It's like foreplay for genes? <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to admit my lack of knowledge on this. <laughs> well, I've never really thought about, you know, like a, a biological DNA flirting thing, but okay. Now you do. You're welcome. <laughs> something new every day. Um, they took blood from 104 Labradors of various ages ranging from five weeks to 16 years and they compared the way that the DNA was changing uh, with age in areas of the dog DNA that specifically mirrored human DNA. Um, so they were looking at locations that they know would correlate. So that was really good because they had a way of directly comparing human and dog DNA. And they found that it really isn't a straightforward one year equals seven years at all. Rather, it changes yeah. over time. So dogs age more quickly than humans at an early age. And then it kind of like mooches along following sexual maturity. And the greatest similarities that they found in the DNA, in the way that the DNA was aging, was when you paired young dogs and young humans and old dogs and old humans. So the beginning and the end of the lifespan was quite similar in the biological clock terms, but that kind of like bit in between, that was much more difficult to try to kind of make that genetic comparison. So a really good match at the beginning, really good match at the end, in the middle, just kind of like mooches along at our own pace. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I bet you that a lot of, uh, that's um, certainly um, Change my view on things. You kind of go with the common narrative, really, unless you've read the research, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. What are the seven years thing? Yeah. I don't yeah. even know where that came from. I know. I don't. I used to always. I just did. That's sort of kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like common. Well, we get trapped in them ways, don't we? Yeah. We get trapped in them that way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when it's said so many times that it almost becomes truth, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I guarantee that'll come up in a pub quiz. So now you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But. Do the, does the pub quiz have the right answer? Well, then you can be that annoying person that goes, well, actually! <laughs> yeah. yeah, you still won't get your free pint at the end, though. It, it's interesting when you look at the different life stages with dogs and children. So now that we know that the, the seven years thing doesn't really matter, but there is still some traits that are the same, isn't there? For example, you know, the dog's journey of understanding how to conduct themselves in, in the society they live in is a forever evolving journey that we're educating, that we're, we're con constantly feeding them information to educate on what they should and shouldn't do. And as they get older, that, that, that need for constant education subsides because the dog now knows what to do and so on. And it's the same yeah. with children in it. You're having to educate and discipline and reward and all these things. And all of a sudden your child morphs into a, you know, a contributing member of society, so to speak. So them sorts of things are the same. It's the same sort of process in terms of it's our responsibility to teach how to educate. And then as age kicks in and time progresses, they kind of get it and go with it. Yeah, I think that there is something about the time feels a lot longer yeah. when they're children, especially yeah, yeah, when they're like is. teenagers and you think they're never going to get to that point where they're going to be fully functioning human yeah, beings. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think there is also something about the way we almost, this seven year equates to one year thing. Mm. It almost, I think, pushes us to putting human expectations mm. on dogs as well. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's another way that we kind of anthropomorphize yeah. our dogs. And an another thing to think about as well, 
when we say like they're the same in seven years, we we know that like an adult dog is the intelligence of like two to three year old toddler. So if that, yeah. if it's mad the way we we've always think about the seven years. But if that's the case, why aren't they? Why aren't their intelligence going up as seven years as well? So, yeah, and um and the and you know um uh, the fertility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness. Yeah. I find it really interesting how like that what you just said, and I've been in discussions with people as well who, who have talked about this as, you know, a dog is the, the age of, you know, um, mental capacity, if you like, yeah. of a two to three-year-old toddler and sort of think, well, what value is that? Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because can a mental, a two to three-year-old toddler go out, uh, locate the scent of an animal, track it across extreme distances, kick into gear, chase it down, you know, and drag it back to your family to be able to feed them and things like this? And I think it's in, there's limits to yeah, what the value limits. is in comparison things like limits, that. And I, think, I think you can have hindrances as much as you can have benefits, yeah. you know, in sort of like, because it does lure you down that, oh, well, if you're only a two to three-year-old toddler, human toddler, you automatically look at it through the eyes mm. of, you know, somebody who would see a two to three-year-old toddler rather than an adult dog. It's a different species, yeah. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? You know, with, with um, different... Um, we covered that on a, on a study in, 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 in a previous episode, didn't we? It was more to do with just the, their ability to retain at, the, at a particular time. I it's can't remember. Cognition. The cognition, cognition, that was it, the cognition. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even even different breeds have got different lifespans as well. You know, I mean, my dogs, my Sholos, because they've never been selectively bred, they're really healthy and it's not uncommon for yeah. them to live to 1820, you know, which is great for me because I love my dogs and I never, ever want them to die, as we all do. Um, but even larger dogs have tend to have shorter lifespans yeah, than yeah. smaller dogs. So there are differences. I grew up around Great Danes, you know, and they're, yeah, you know, you'd be years, lucky to hit seven. I've, yeah. got, I've got a client who, um, who bred them. She works with me at the moment and her last one was like 17. Wow, and, and this for one, a Dane? They, yeah, yeah, this one's coming up Blimey. to 10 and it's That's really, good. really healthy. Good genetic lines there. Really, yeah, really good. Really yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I think Bloody big thing. And I think the whole thing with, you know, dogs and, uh, and breeding dogs, we need to be looking at improving their fitness, improving, yeah. their, their, you know, their function instead of what they look like, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, there's that, that angle of things yeah. as well. So in that sense, you know, if we're talking about the fact that there are similar aspects in canine DNA and human DNA linked to aging, what do we know about human DNA, you know, reasons why people might die or suffer ill health or whatever that we can apply to dogs or vice versa? Well, dogs are actually quite a useful model for looking at human aging. And when you think about it, we share pretty much all aspects of the same environment with our dogs. They live with us. So there are loads of similarities. So if we want to find ways of making sure that our dogs and we live longer, then it's important to really understand the aging process. And there's lots that we can learn from each other, both in terms of genetic influences and the environment and how they interact to either shorten or even extend our lives. And one study that I found looked at the morbidity, which is basically the diseases that you have, and the mortality, so the deaths that you have due to specific illnesses, over uh, 112,000 humans and nearly 74,000 dogs. So it was a huge study. And it looked at any similarities between how we and our dogs age and the diseases that we get that contribute to our to our deaths, essentially. And they found some some really similar trends between humans and dogs. They found females live longer in both species, but particularly humans, we have a longer lifespan. And both in humans and dogs, cancer was a leading cause yeah. of death. Mm. Cancer, the same thing, which is really interesting. Also, given the traje trajectories of cancer deaths were almost identical across species, you know, there is something for me in that about the environment that yeah, we're living in. But it, it could also be 
that we are extending our lives in comparison to where we were. And arguably, you know, we could be doing that with dogs as well. So is there something about the way that we age, just having older DNA and older cells, which make you more likely to get cancer? Or is it the fact that we're eating processed food? Is it the fact that there's more toxins in the environment from pollution? You know, what are these things that are contributing? Because it's clearly affecting us both. Yeah. My thoughts on that are that it's it's not a, a singular aspect. You know, if we could say, oh, it's because of an aging DNA, then you wouldn't get childhood cancers. Mm. You know, you wouldn't get cancers in young it's dogs. Like a mutation, if it's, can't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if we're saying that it's because of the environment, I think that that's probably a, 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 certainly a key part. You know, we're all breathing the same air, we drink the same water, etc. You know, we're yeah. subject to the same toxins that we take in. Um, whether that's down to extended... Yeah. Life duration. I don't. I'd, I'd, I'd want to see. Um, I'd want to see data on what what kind of statistics of dogs are dying of cancer in comparison to people. But I'd also want to see like if there's any data of animals that live in the wild, maybe the Amazon, like mammals out there, and see if they have much cancer going on, and mm. if there's a different, a massive difference in numbers. Do you know, well, what the I mean? largest health risk to dogs in the UK at the moment, in particular, is obesity. Yeah, it yeah. isn't cancer. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So. You, you, yeah might be looking at the low-hanging fruit, whereas actually yeah, the, 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 yeah. the more sort of like um, probable causes yeah. are something that are beyond actual health issues like, you know, o- over which you haven't necessarily got control. Well, yeah. obesity did feature in this. Both uh, dogs and humans that had more than one disease were more likely to have obesity as well. And obese humans were more likely to have obese dogs. So there's definitely something lifestyle there. Um, the cancer one's really interesting. When you think about cancer, it's when your cells are kind of like repeatedly uh, generating, the, you, they're not being switched off, so they're multiplying too fast and it kind of takes over. Um, and you look at the different types of cancers, there were things in there that led to lifestyle factors, again, similar to obesity. So respiratory, uh, urogenital and gastrointestinal cancers were more common in humans than dogs. So you think about those lifestyle factors like smoking and obesity and diet. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, I Hopefully, you're not going to get smoking dogs, but you know, you never know. Yeah, it depends, well, they're breathing in all the crap that we pump. Yeah, everything that we oh. pump out into the atmosphere goes into them, doesn't it? It you does. Know, I think yeah, it does. Some, somebody having three cigarettes a day compared to somebody breathing in whatever's flying over London yeah. and falling down over them daily or being pumped out the back of vehicles yeah. in cities, you know, I think yeah. Yeah. Um, that, you know, a lot of us really, it's, it's inescapable. Yeah. I, I, one of the differences was cardiovascular disease, actually. It was a much more common cause of death in humans than it was in dogs. Now, that might be in part because of the cholesterol profiles that dogs have that are associated with a lower risk of mm. cardiovascular disease. So it could be dietary just by the very nature of what dogs eat and what humans eat. But yeah, it was it was an interesting one. I always find that, you know, when, you, when you're talking about end of life and quality of life, when, when that period of time is upon you i always find it dead weird that we we don't inflict our same values on on ourselves as we do with our dogs i mean you know once a dog's quality of life is is you know really struggling we would say that the kindest thing to do would be youth to euthanize yeah you know i've had family members die of cancer and it was the most horrendous thing i've ever seen but there's there's just no way in the, on god's green earth we can say like no that's enough that, that needs to end now it just doesn't happen does the it things well with with a dog you act in whatever whatever the disease happens to be whatever the reason for the deterioration in the dog's health you act in the interests of that animal you speak yeah, yeah. for that animal as the yeah, owner yeah. of it where you're looking you at human pa- well, you're looking at human parallels. In a lot of instances, you can. Mm. People can say, "I have had enough." They yeah. can say, "I don't want to go on." Yet that's overridden yeah, yeah. by some kind of morality yeah, yeah. that exceeds 
Yeah. Their own it's, personal it's a massive, wishes. It's a massive slap you know of hypocrisy, I mean? really, it, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course it, it is. We should have, like, if anything, we should have whole control of our life and, yes. when, when, and yes. when that should end in that period of time. If you've got, like, obviously, um, capacity to mm. make decisions for but, yourself. Uh, there's so much within that, within the euthanasia argument, yeah. that's, that's difficult as well, though. Not just the point that someone's life is ending and who gets that choice, but it's so open to abuse as well, isn't it? And yeah, it not is. just the individual, uh, you know, someone else trying to push their views on that individual, perhaps, because yeah, yeah. there's lots of safeguards. That's why capacity is everything. But it, it? it's about the, the burden that the person might feel and mm. that might experience as well. They might feel like they're a burden on others around them. So I, I get that morally, it's a really difficult thing to entangle, but you are right. It's morally because morally, yeah, for dogs. But a, do yeah. a dog can't give you, a dog can't give you any view. No, no. there's no yeah, informed you, consent from yeah. a dog. I can no. literally, I can literally I go to the vets now and say, this dog needs to be euthanized. And they go, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, that it's, it's, uh, it, I think it's massively hypocritical. Well, equally, you can yeah. have vets that think this dog doesn't necessarily need to be euthanized and it wouldn't really be classified as euthanasia because it's not suffering from any yeah. illness or ailment. It is actually just destruction. Yeah. But there is no other alternative for it. So we need to do that because yeah, that's yeah. in the best interest of the dogs and society. And sometimes euthanasia becomes an economic thing. It's cheaper to put yeah. the dog down than to provide the treatment, which is always, always going to be the the most kind of difficult thing and certainly as an owner there might be listeners who've been in that situation who desperately wanted to give their dogs the treatment but they just didn't have the financial resources to be able to do that so it's interesting in, in terms of the way that we look at that difference in morality across species if we're going to make or accept that well we can make that contradiction in this sense because it's a dog and I'm acting in the best interest of the dog but wouldn't do it for a human then we need to expand that further because there's plenty of things where you say well you wouldn't do that to a child or you wouldn't do that yeah. to a human so we shouldn't do it to an animal etc do you know what I mean this, yeah, yeah. this sort of like fractured ethics that runs through a lot yeah. of um, dog ownership. Maybe in we the should industry. have enforced education for dogs yeah. as well. Dogs should go through puppy school. Yeah. There's an, um, there's, there's <laughs> an, I, I don't idea. disagree with it. Not a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. There's, a, there's another thing that doesn't sit well with me, and that's this. It's it's relatively new, but chemotherapy for dogs. I am, um, you know, people may, might disagree, but I think it's probably one of the most cruel things you can do. There isn't a single case I can think of where a dog's made a full recovery and gone on to live a happy life. You're literally just prolonging misery in your dog, and. It's, you know, it's, it's there as an option. Your dog's got cancer. It's in a bad way. We can do chemo and it could give them an extra two or three months. Why? You know? I guess it comes down to prognosis, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. If you can say, yeah, that we can give them this treatment and this treatment will. Makes you them know, very, very ill. But, but if yeah. you could say, but statistically speaking, the probability of recovery is very high. Mm. You know, that the, the success rate is very high then. It's just not the same in dogs with people, as I've people got, though, is it? I've got some stats actually. In the UK, 86.4% of dogs are euthanized when the quality of life becomes low. And I actually, think that's getting, I think that's getting worse as time goes on. I, I, you know, growing up and always being around dogs, I, you know, I, we, I always witness people doing the right thing. And I, I specifically remember as a kid being like really upset with this idea of, you know, people putting the dogs. I couldn't get it, and and nowadays I'm seeing like like you know there's a, there's a program with 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 a vet that that specialises in you know dogs that I would say their quality of life has really suffered there, but they're doing operations to give them a quality of life, and I think it's up for debate. I don't think in some cases I'd say it's not very moral to keep 
that animal alive in, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. There's well, no absolute this, line, no, is there? No, there isn't. No. No. Certainly in this study, it's given me a challenge because yeah. it makes it difficult to ascertain whether or not the dog could have survived and experienced a later different yeah. cause of death. So it yeah. might might well be skewing. And, and you know, when, the, when, when, when you, you know, having dogs my whole life, I've, I've, I've had to euthanize um, a, a good couple of dogs, unfortunately, like that have been ill and, and elderly. And you know, even when their quality of life has diminished so much, you always feel that guilt. You mm. always feel, is this right? Should I, should I do this? Should I? But it is the kind, it is the kindest thing when it comes to that. Absolutely. But let's, let's, let's make them live longer Absolutely. and not have to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's more to come on that actually, because there are two large scale studies on aging in dogs that have launched recently. There's the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study, which is following more than 3,000 yeah. Golden Retrievers over their lifetimes with a, a focus on cancer for this one. And also the Dog Aging Project. I love this. I've had a look at this and that's tracking tens of thousands thousands of dogs of all breeds throughout mm. their entire lives looking more generally at the biological yeah. and the environmental determinants of aging and another thing that's an absolute travesty to me is i've seen obviously as a dog trainer i've, I've thousands of dogs over over you know a decade of professional dog training that, I, that i've seen people have worked with and they'll inform me when their dogs have had to be euthanized and um, one recently a really um a really long-term client gainer um lovely woman and it, it, she's just had to euthanize her dog buzz other than his back legs, the dog was in complete perfect health. And it's so sad that you have to make that decision based on that. And going off that, I've seen some really interesting things with him. Have you seen the stem cell vet? No. Um, yeah, they, they're starting to this. implement stem cells in, um, in, in, for this kind of thing. And the, the, some of the results are unbelievable. Like they're literally rejuvenating like joints and things like that. And that could be a really good step in the right direction of giving longevity to your dog's life when you think so many dogs, especially like your German shepherds and your, your, your larger dog breeds, they're, they're being, they're being a uh, PTS put to sleep, euthanized when they're not really in ill health, so to speak. Their joints have just failed them and they have no quality of life, so it's the kindest thing to do. So that could be some really, really interesting push forward of technology, couldn't oh, it? Stem cells are incredible. Yeah. Do you know, whenever a woman has a child, um, when the fetus is yeah. growing inside you, there are stem cells that leak from the fetus that cross the barrier into the mother's bloodstream. And those stem cells sit in different places, they land in different places, and they become those cells. So I've got neurons potentially today that are stem cells from Gabby when I had yeah. Gabby you know it's just incredible and that's going to be the same with dogs so yeah. the stem cells you've got a big headache for that as well uh, oh. <laughs> children honestly <laughs> honestly no but it's amazing it's yeah. amazing to think what stem cells can do yeah. you know what we're learning from that all the time yeah can you not or do you not think as well though that there's that just leads into another moral argument, doesn't it? Because if you if you're able to use stem cell therapy and you're able to rejuvenate limbs and you're able to maintain like uh, until what point? Yeah. If every time the animal displays a, 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 a an ailment, I can fix it. Mm -hmm. I can make you carry on. At what point do I talk? Because yeah. the dog can't turn around and say, yeah. I've had enough, mate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Can, I, can you let me come to the end of my life? And you think, no, because you're healthy. Yeah. You know, do you just keep going and going and going infinitely? Yeah. Where, where do you draw the line and who draws it? The other thing is it becomes a, a rich poor thing because yeah, yeah. dogs, if you're fortunate enough to belong to an owner that's got financial resources, you're going to carry on and have a lovely life. So you end up with a two-tier, whereas a, yeah. you know, a street dog doesn't have a chance. Do you know, isn't that, isn't well, that, we've got it in human isn't society. That exactly isn't that. that such as the way of life though? You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that, well, it's not fortunate. It's I have wrong, to pay, I have it? to pay, I have to pay it because, um, of, of my job and I'm very active in sports and things, but I, I purchased private healthcare in case I needed the surgery for any of me, uh, my hobbies and I still have to work. And I got, um, 
I got an email letting me know that because I have private healthcare, just to let me know that I have access to cancer treatments that aren't available in the NHS. That is just a cruel fact of life. If you're wealthy, you're going to have more access to things than if you're not. And, you know, it's not just a dog argument, that isn't it? It's it's an atrocity of of mankind or really womankind. Is. Thank you, Hashtag Danny. gender Thank bias. Um, available in stores now. <laughs> um, but it is just a cruel fact of life, isn't it? If, if, if you're wealthy, you, you, you're better off in life than you are if you're not. It's it just, does frustrate me. It because, does, yeah. You know, as, as a human, you are a social animal. We have survived. Yeah and thrived primarily because of the way that we cooperate in social groups. Mm. But then we've kind of got to this point in society where we'll do that to a point, but I want more. Yeah. And if I get more, then it means you have less and I'm totally all right with that. And we, we shouldn't be. So I, I, I'm totally with you on that healthcare argument. I find it incredibly frustrating that things are available to some that aren't available to others. Yeah. That will do. I mean, I grew up dirt poor, so I totally see it. And, you know, I, I lost my father when I was really young and watching him die in front of you, you'd give anything, you'd yeah. give anything to get a bit of extra time with him yeah, yeah. or to stop that from happening. And just the fact that we're in a society today where the amount of financial resource that you have available to you will determine whether or not you're able to do that. I find it really tough. And I, and I see the same with dogs, yeah. with animals. I'm not sure that we'll get to the bottom of the, no. the, the problem in today's discussion because mm. it's enormous. But we'll be back after the break and we'll have a bloody good go. This week's episode is sponsored by Wellness Core. And today, myself and my new co-host, Luther. <coughs> do you want to take the slide? We'll be spotlighting three Wellness Core recipes designed to help your dog live a long and healthy life. Wellness Core designs their recipes to make sure every dog gets the nutrition they need, whether that be promoting optimal weight with their low-fat recipe or promoting optimal ageing thanks to their senior recipe. You're a bit young for that, baby. Starting your day with the right breakfast can help optimise nutrient absorption and it balances your intestinal microbiome to promote a healthy digestive system. You can support your dog's gut health in the same way with Wellness Core Lamb. And according to wellness, the rich lamb taste delivers outstanding palatability that satisfies even the fussiest dogs. I think he summed it up really well. Look out for Wellness Core in pet stores or you can order online by clicking the link in the description. Back to the show. I, I personally think we're living it in really exciting times in terms of what technology is starting to discover and um and do with aging and the aging process. I've been, I don't know if you're aware of um, a scientist for Harvard University, Dr. David Sinclair. He's got loads of stuff on social media at the moment and he is doing some absolutely, it, it's like something out of a sci-fi film, like some of the stuff that he's found. He can literally reverse aging. Um, I, Sab will be able to do it justice with all the, uh, the chemical aims and so on and so forth. But this isn't like, oh, this is theory. He's actually doing it. He's reversing aging. I know one study, um, he, he had end of life mice, didn't he? And he doubled their lifespan. So he had them all at the same ages. And then one set of mice, he doubled their lifespan just by adding um, these supplements and stuff, didn't he? If you can elaborate on that, that might be really interesting for not just dogs, but people as well. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And actually, David Sinclair 
collaborates with a lab that's run by someone called Professor George Church. And I found one of their studies right. um, when I was researching for this script. Uh, and now his lab published research into anti-aging gene therapy. So similar to the work that Dr. David Sinclair does. Uh, now, gene therapy is basically, uh, it, the best way to describe it is it's basically a virus that carries instructions for making a protein in the same way that genes do. And that's linked to either preventing or reversing age-related diseases. Now, the lab, uh, this particular lab, is looking at 45 different genes that are linked to anti-aging. And they've already published data on three gene therapies, with each gene being delivered through one of those viruses that basically infects the liver cells and turns them into like little factories that pump out these therapeutic proteins, which then sip into the bloodstream to target particular things. And in this study, they targeted obesity, and they found when they put this gene therapy in, then mice shed weight, they, they lost their obesity. Uh, it also targeted type 2 diabetes. So it restored insulin sensitivity, which obviously is really relevant for things yeah, like yeah. diabetes. Um, and also renal and heart failure. So they found ways of using this gene therapy to improve both heart and kidney function. Now, two out of the three genes that they looked at work. The third one, despite being linked generally with anti aging effects actually hindered how well one of the other genes works. So this is another fascinating aspect of it. It's not just that one works, that one works, that one works, but they can interact. So you might have two that work on their own, but when they interact with each other, one can affect the, um, the, the, the outcomes of the other one. So, you know, it's an amazing study and so much so. Now, this was mice, but the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University is currently doing a pilot study of this gene therapy on dogs. And oh. they're working with the American Cavalier King Charles Spaniel Club because that breed commonly yeah. has heart uh, issues yeah, yeah. with mitral valve disease. So uh, by the age of eight. So that study will look at how they can improve those dogs' heart health by using gene therapy gene therapy with targeted anti-aging effects. So, you know, that work that you're talking about there with mice that can really extend their lifespan, we're able to do that with dogs yeah. experimentally at yeah, the moment, yeah. granted, you know, but it's not it's not an enormous um, stretch then to think about what we could do with humans within our own lifetime. Yeah. It's amazing. There's also, um, there's also loads of um, revolutionary research on things like um, um, temperature exposure and... Um, intermittent fasting and things like mm. that. That's supposed to do the same thing, isn't it? Like um, um, spark up like anti-aging properties within your in your body. Yeah. That could be something, you know, um, to look into with your dogs as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much. My dogs eat once a day anyway, so technically they do intermittent fast. And yeah. All it would be is a couple of retrieves in the pond of the morning. Yeah. There's, your, there's your cold plunge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, there is research that shows that dogs that are fed once a day have got better than average cognitive scores. They're less yeah. likely to have dental issues, orthopedic, kidney and urinary and liver and pancreatic disorders. And it's consistent with work on lab mice and humans. So diets that restrict the timing of feeding are much better for cognitive function and physical health. So you're right there. There we go. Yeah. So Sounds if you, good. yeah, yeah, my, and yeah. just to, for the viewers at home, um, most of my dogs only eat once a day anyway, but two of me dogs have to have two meals a day because they just can't maintain weight. They drop yeah. weight. Um, so don't just kind of take that as gospel and just do it. You need to look at a number of things. Some dogs, if you feed them once a day, they'll get hunger bile. Yeah. Um, so make sure you're not affecting your dog's quality of life. Yeah. Would you give your dog experimental treatments? Cause these are experimental at the moment. Would you put your dog forward for something like that? Um, Possibly not. I mean, I know that the, the, the stuff that David Sinclair was doing, um, from what from what I read, he said like there is literally no fallout for any of them supplements. There hasn't, there hasn't found anything to. I think um, 
Can, can I label that? Can I name them on this? Yeah. Yeah. So he uses um, NMN, doesn't he? Um, resveratrol and uh, metformin. And he said that, as, that in, in all the case studies he's done, he's been taking it himself for about 15 years now, as is his elderly dad, who's now, how old did he say? Was he a late, late, late 80s? Yeah, oh. yeah, he's reversed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Benjamin Button. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Late 80s, still completely active, living the same lifestyle. When he first done the study with mice, he um, he started giving him then the um, the medication and there's been literally no fallout. So if it was things like that, I definitely, I definitely do, but when but it's actually when experimental, know. what no. about before that? Well, sometimes, really you know, you can be, you can pay the price or your dog can for playing God, can't you? And we brings us back to the question of just cause we can do something, should we? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would. I love my dog so much. Mm. And even though it could be amazing, equally, it could really not be. Yeah. I think if, I think if they were really ill and yeah. there was an experimental treatment that might work, yeah. and well, if they didn't have that, then the prognosis yeah. was really bad anyway. Then that's given different. given the dog's short lifespan. My dogs are still, you know, they're, they're just coming up to like middle age now, so I'll probably let all them do it on their dogs, find out what the results were, <sighs> and then do it on my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same as you. If it, if it was down to where they were in a, you know, they were having failing health anyway, and that yeah, was a, if that was an, if you had failing health, then yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, but I have to say on something like a breed that is just genetically predisposed yeah. to have poor health personally yeah. rather than going down the routes of yeah. you know experimentation to try and find solutions to selecting the poor the easiest way to prevent poor health in a breed is to stop breeding yeah. the breed yeah. ultimately that yeah. doesn't affect what any you, animal no I mean, welfare you look at, you look at dogs it. like pugs yeah. you look at dogs like um, uh, Frenchies they all have really bad yeah. breathing problems so you're yeah. right so we've talked about dogs but what about humans should humans extend their lives this is an interesting one so if, if like you're getting access to revolutionary cancer drugs, if you've, if you're from a more affluent background, one would say if this research is like bob on, everyone can live to 200 years, you take these supplements, we're good to go. You'd think that I'd naturally pass over to the more affluent amongst us, but it would be in a government's best interest to keep us all healthy and get us working for another, for 150 years. Which is exactly it? why we have the NHS in the UK. Yeah, the yeah. whole point of the NHS was to maintain a healthy workforce yeah. so that we could all continue to work. Contribute. And yeah, and be a productive society. Yeah. That's why healthcare is free at the, yeah. uh, uh, at the point yeah, of but distribution. The, but but the at the UK. same time, we can't expand the planet. So where does everyone live? Yeah. What are all, where are all the resources, the food? You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's, um, interplanetary so exploration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, crazy it is, times, isn't it? it? Is crazy nuts. times. It is nuts. Right, so this is getting less and less practical and more and more ethereal. Let's bring it right back down to some practical tips. What can we do to help our dogs live longer, gents? Well, obviously, it, it starts with the selection process. You know, make sure you're vetting where you're going to buy your dog, your puppy from in the first place. Um, you want to know the, the health history of, of, of that bloodline and moving move forward. The same sort of things that you're going to incorporate to live longer and healthier as a human being, you know, a good exercise plan, make sure you're eating a, a, a balanced diet um, try and avoid chronic stresses, which we've touched on in other, in other episodes, haven't we? About, you know, pushing through everyday small stresses so that it's, it doesn't turn into a chronic, about a chronic stress throughout the dog's life. Things like that are instantly going to increase your lifespan. Mm. There's something about breeding for health and not yeah. aesthetics. I think this well. is, this is where it's something that's yeah. very much misunderstood. Yeah, it is. And the... this is where it went wrong with, you know, this is one of the challenges we have at the moment. You know, we're breathing to human specification. This dog should look like this and should have this. That's not saying this dog should be healthy 
And that's it. That's where it ends. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Who cares yeah. what he looks like? Yeah, should be yeah. healthy. It should just be a healthy dog. And if you look at like some of the breeds now compared to like even like the twenties, the thirties, the difference in them breeds is yeah. is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And the point about shows is that that's the dog that the, that's the stock that gets bred yeah. from because they breed for aesthetics to a human specification instead of health of yeah. the animal. Agreed. And I think that started happening. When we stopped, we stopped being as practical using dogs for work. It become a showpiece. Well, yeah. it started to happen. Yeah, when when we when we decided that it was okay to set up a society of bored Victorians who wanted to show off yeah. proudly their their dogs and then be able to breed their dogs again and again to get closer and closer to what they considered to be the perfect specimen for their particular yeah. breed, and yeah. that that is allowed to continue. To be completely honest, Sickening. in this day and age. When we know so much yeah. about animal welfare, is diabolical. Yeah, but that, by by its very nature, there's something really off about that, isn't it? I'm breeding my dog to look a certain way so that I can be better than this person. Yeah. That that's what it is. I want yeah. to compete and, and against you know, this person. You, I want to win against you. Do you know what's balmy? The some dog's of, health is some suffering. of some of the most unhealthy dogs are the most expensive puppies to buy. Yeah. And you, the public at home, you can help this by not buying them. Yeah. Don't buy them. Don't don't well, set your own price yeah. bracket. Yeah, set, you yeah. Know, if somebody says this this puppy is yeah. worth this amount of money, well, I'll pay you this amount of money yeah. for it. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're the consumer. Yeah. You set the price, yeah. set it high. You create a market where people are going to continue yeah. breeding these yeah. ill dogs, these yeah. uh, what have been termed by vets as unfit for life dogs in many instances, <laughs> really and you're perpetuating the problem. Don't yeah. buy them. Don't buy them. And there's something about how, you know, talking really practically about um, obese dogs yeah. and how you can make sure that your dog is a healthy weight. What's a healthy weight for your dog? What, what, how you feed them, how you reward them as well yeah, with yeah. their treats. So perhaps think about using the dog's kibble, at their yeah. main food source when you're training your dog rather than constantly supplementing with treats. Yeah. There's things that people can do to make sure that their dogs don't become overweight. Yeah. And as a rule of thumb, your dog should have a waistline. You shouldn't really be able to see the ribs, but you should be able to feel them if you brush your hand over the side great questions and we have some great listener questions coming mm. up jamie what have we got yeah we do have some great list listener questions the first one's just a short one mm -hmm. so the first one is why are some dogs picky eaters is it a learned behavior by learned it behavior it just basically means as we've talked mm -hmm. before about associative isn't it associative learning as in something that yeah. the dog realizes that you know if i leave this bit i get something better whereas if i eat this bit then yeah, i yeah. don't you know so i'm better yeah, off yeah. leaving it and, and out no, comes the higher yeah. quality food. no no doubt that could be the case with, with some dogs people people are you know constantly emotionally too emotionally invested in their dogs that's not to say don't be emotionally invested but some people are way too emotionally invested and if your dog doesn't eat the dinner they'll be like oh get the dog some chicken and get this and now your dog lives in a world where it can say well i'm not eating that because i know if i wait out you'll give me something mm. of much higher value yeah. Also, genetics. You know, my brother was a dead picky eater as a kid. I, I, I'd eat his dinners. You know, I, I'd eat anything that was put in front of me, but he was just a dead picky eater. And funny enough, his, his son's the same now. Um, and he grew out of it. Some dogs are the same. Some dogs are just picky. Some dogs aren't. And then you have the other cases where, um, pet owners are leaving constant food in the bowl so the dog can graze as and when. And the dog just didn't really develop an appetite as a yeah. result of it. But You're right. There are individual differences. Like yeah. Red is the most food-driven dog in the whole world. She's a gannet. She's mm. like, literally, she's like a snapdragon. You chuck a bit of food and she's like, yeah. oh, She particularly gone. likes kneecaps. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, when you're saying about leaving food down all the time, I'm, I'm one of these people who feed, I feed my dog once a day, yeah. or my dogs mm. once a day. Um, 
<clears throat> there have been time when I've missed a meal yeah, and yeah. gone on and fed them the next day because yeah, yeah. if I was thinking mm, you're getting a little bit over putting a bit bit on there but I like to keep my dogs dogs on the slimmer side of fit yeah, you yeah. know but I, I have had vets compliment me on the, on the yeah, dogs yeah. and on their I love that yeah well with with Tink there when she yeah. lost that leg the re, one of the principal reasons that it were, that it was good and it was it's okay to go with was weight. because she was a yeah. fit and healthy dog of course. you know and she wasn't carrying excessive weight and things like that but when my there's no way in hell that if I were to put food down in my house, that my dogs would be picky yeah. with what went on the floor. And just the other day, a couple of days ago, before we, you know, um, before I went away, um, we were feeding the dogs uh, bits of broccoli, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, bit, yeah. bits of carrot. Dogs yeah. love carrot, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, things like that to be able to give them that as yeah. as snacks. I, as I've I've never supplement. I've never had a dog that is picky eating. I've I've never I've never had one. Every one of my dogs throughout my life has always if you put the food down it's gone. Mm. Yeah. I've never I've never had that. No, I haven't either. Yeah. I haven't either. And it's not just because of the breed. No. You know, because I've had different breeds. Yeah, I've yeah, never had breed. If 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 I've had a dog that doesn't eat its food, there's something amiss with a dog well, that, in terms yeah. of its health. I was just gonna say that. When you're when you're spoiling your dog and you're overfeeding them and you're leaving them to graze, you can go up quite a period of the time thinking that your dog is well when your dog isn't well. When you're, when you're feeding your dogs regularly like us and they're eating that one meal a day, you know straight away when something's not right. Yeah, you do. As soon as I see that, I go, I'm going to take dog a vet. Yeah. I, I know if, if, if Flint doesn't eat his dinner, if any of my dogs don't eat the dinner, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. All right. Ready for question two? Yeah. Let's, let's question go two. Ready. Is it true that smaller dogs live longer? And if so, why? It is actually. There's been quite a lot of research that's looked at this. And we, we know anecdotally things like Great Danes will, you know, only live for kind of seven, eight years sometimes. And smaller dogs tend to live longer. Now, the evidence is that larger breeds have shorter lifespans because of the investment in growth in their early years in particular, um, rather than the body kind of investing that energy into body maintenance and things like DNA copying errors that will prevent cancer, for example. So that's why bigger dogs take more investment to grow to the size that they're going to become at a younger age. Wow. Yeah. There we go. Now, now you know. know. Now you know. Now you yeah. know. So are we ready for some icks? Ick me. Ick me. Okay. Karen from Gravelly Bottom Road in Kent. <laughs> <laughs> and she basically just says, Puppy parties. Yeah, with you, yeah. Karen. Completely yeah. with you. Absolutely with you. Really, yeah, we know really. when you're a new dog owner, this can be like, oh my God, it's the best novelty thing in the world. But puppy parties are the start of dog training cancer. That's literally <laughs> what puppy parties are. You're going to subject your dog to a load of over arousal, absolutely no control of exposure. You're going to have no control of any outcomes. And chances are you're going to walk away with a puppy that's learned a load of unwanted behavior that you don't want. And no, it, it's like, oh, really? This is so much fun. But as a dog trainer, it's an important thing that you just need to know. Don't even look at his face. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. He looks or do you know, so what, do you know gross. what's going through my head? Puppy showers. Yeah, yeah. Puppy, sh puppy parties and puppy showers. Yeah. And so everyone gathering around to bring their gifts for your oh, for your new arrival and stuff Buster like that. Just a balloon and pink or yeah. blue bones yeah. come it's tumbling out. It's not the act. Yeah. You know, we say this a lot. It's not the act with me. It's the what, wait, what it's it represents. The what's behind yeah. the act? Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. It is. Get your puppy out. Get your, you even Be when, careful even you say before, that, Jay. Even before you've had your second inoculation, I'm going to lay it on the line. As long as you're somewhere that isn't dense 
with dog scent or rich with walking dogs that you yeah. haven't met. You're not even, you haven't met. Or like that a you, farm you know, with rats. Yeah, you're going to yeah. go somewhere where there's going to be lots of other animals. But for goodness sake, take your dog out. If you want to go into a field and they're on a line or a lead in a field or in your garden or whatever else, get them out. Start exposing them as early as you possibly can. Neutral exposure. None of this matters. Stick with me, sweetheart. We're going to be absolutely fine. And let the doors close on yeah. puppy parties, which can... Mm generally yeah. result in absolute mayhem where you're teaching yeah. your pup from a young age that when it's an adult, yeah. leg it over towards other dogs, bound all over them. It's yeah. great. Mm. Same, goes it dog parks. Same goes oh. for dog parks. It's, yeah. it's, it's canine Jungle. chaos. That's what it is. Canine chaos. Jungle. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you boys, but I'm feeling suitably icked. How can people get in touch if they want to contribute more? Well, if you would like to get in touch, you can uh, go to us on social media at Dog Scholar Podcast. Or you can email podcast at thedogscholar.com. Yeah, and that is all we've got time for this week, I'm afraid. Now, if you've enjoyed today's episode, do share it with a friend. Because if they don't like it, maybe their dogs will. Danny, before we shoot off, give them a final thought. So we've established that dog ears is a myth after all. But if you would like your dog to live a long and happy life, make sure they get plenty of exercise, a nice balanced diet, reduce their chronic stress, and stay tuned for some revolutionary discoveries in the field of age and full stop. On the dog scholar, you'll hear it first. Mm. See you next week! Come, come